Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This book that Danny talked about, I, someone asked me today, he said, how long did it take you to write this? Well, it's actually not a very big book, so you would think it wouldn't take long, but you know that this thing took... I mean, yeah, we worked on this thing for several years, and the reason is is because is it's a personal story, and not the whole thing. It's a teaching about what God revealed to me that brought healing and wholeness out of a dark period of my life. But I had to tell very, very uh, personal uh, things about my life, mine and Donna's life, in order to be able to relate to what people go through. And uh, it was not easy. And so I'm saying that because... This book is designed, and my message is designed and is to help people who, are going, who, who face challenges that are not a challenge for a day or a, a week or a month, but things that last a long time. Look, folks, as human beings, there are certain things that are a part of the human experience. And one of those things is that somewhere along the line in life, trust me, you will face uh, something uh, that will last for a while, much longer than what you thought it would. And it goes into a season of your life. And how you deal with that season of your life can literally determine the outcome of your life. It can determine the person you end up becoming. Because it's through the, the, it's through the difficult seasons in our life, the challenging seasons. That, and I talk about seasons, things that last a, a good, good while. Six months, a year, maybe years. It's how we respond to those things that determine whether we come out bitter or better. You know, those things make us who we end up becoming. And so anyway, uh, that's really the, my material tonight. I want to start out by saying this, that I grew up in a church I'm going to tell you some of my experiences, weave my life experience through this uh, teaching. I grew up in church. I was born again when I was 11 years old in a prayer meeting, and I grew up in a, a Pentecostal church, a classic, uh, classical Pentecostal church, and, uh, but I never took my faith seriously uh, until I was 19 years old, and you know, I'd go to church, listen to the preaching, but it really never meant a whole lot to me. And when I was 19 years old, some things happened that dramatically changed all that and literally set me on fire for God, and I've been on fire ever since. When I grew up in this church, this classic Pentecostal church, we grew up thinking that God does move. I, I learned that, that Christianity is to be an experience with power. And many Christians don't know that and don't understand that. That Christianity is not a cerebral, you know, an ideology. It's not, uh, it's not what you believe, although believing is important, but it's, it's not a changing of belief systems. You know, much like Buddhism or Hinduism or a lot of 
a lot of this new spirituality, it's, it's all geared toward uh, learning certain spiritual lofty truths. And by believing those things, you are to, uh, to reach a place of whether it's nirvana or whatever it might be. But, the, but they're ideologies. Christianity is not an ideology. Christianity is a divine, explosive, powerful experience. Ah, it's a life change. I said this the other day at Nina's church that, that you know, when you, when you come to Christ, you are what we call born again. No, you're not a follower of Christ. That's included in it, yes, but it's come to become, you know, really hip today, you know, to say, well, I'm a Christ follower. That's what I am. You know, that way we don't have to deal with the, the real offensive terms like being born again. You know, but, but what is Christ follower today? It, it can mean one of many things. It just means you believe in the teachings of Christ. But you're not just a Christ follower. And you're not just a Christian. You say, well, that's what I am, a Christian. Well, what is a Christian in today's culture? It could be one of a thousand things. But let me tell you something. You use that word born again. And let me tell you something. They go, all of a sudden, the eyebrows raise and they go, oh, you're one of those. You're not just a Christian, you're a born again Christian. And you go, then your eyes get big and go, yeah. Yeah, listen. Oh, let me tell you, because let me tell you something. There's nothing tame about being born. I was with my wife with four boys being born. And I can tell you that first one, I was in there with her. And let me tell you, there was nothing mild, tame. I mean, it was wild. It was crazy throwing chairs and tables. And no, I'm only kidding. Look, back in that day, you know, my wife on the first one, they, they put it while they were in labor, they put ladies in a ward, you know, and there was about six or eight ladies all in labor at the same time with just a sheet between them, you know, a curtain between them. And they're all in there together going, ah, ah, ah. You know, and, and so I'm coming along, and, and my wife, she's going, oh, and I remember the Lamaze classes. You know, maybe some of you older people remember, they, we used to go through Lamaze classes, and that's classes where you can help your wife, you know, while she's in the labor, you know, and one of the things I learned in Lamaze class was they told me when the, she gets real intense, uh, in intense labor pains, said, just go over and take your fingers and pinch her big toe. And pretty hard. And when you pinch your big toe, that it will help relieve the pain and the tension. So I walked over. There's a good husband, you know. And I took my fingers like this. And I go, and my wife comes up off the table and goes, ah, get out of here. What's the matter with you? Stop it. I thought, where is that Frenchman now, Lamaze? I mean... You know, it was, it, was a, it was a violent, explosive experience. And I just say it to you, and I know that's fun to think about like that, but, but in reality, you know, wow, when you get born again, it's, it's a life change. The kingdom of darkness is exploded out of your being. Hell loses its grip on you. The chains break off. The kingdom, the whole kingdom of God is birthed on the inside of you. You're filled with the life of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. Whoa! The blood goes flowing through your veins. And you become a child of God. A new nature. Well, you see, I grew up with that 
understanding that the power of God was very real and, and that, that God intervened in many different ways. I saw healings take place, miraculous healings take place. The problem is, is that we never knew really how they happened. It was just when God showed up, decided to show up. And so it was all, there was kind of a randomness to all of it. Now listen very carefully because it's like there's been an evolution of my thinking on this all down through the years. I started as a kid seeing this and yeah, God really is real and he moves and when great power, but we just don't know how he does it. And usually if he does it, it, it happens through a special saint with special gifts, but certainly not ordinary people like me. And so anyway, that's the way I grew up. But then when I was 19 years old, something happened to me. I began to... I mean, a couple of scriptures or a few scriptures began to explode in my spirit and it changed me. Now think of this. I was born again all those years ago, but it was the word that all of a sudden blew up in my face and it completely rocked my world. And I'm just going to give you two of those scriptures and look what they are. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen, I cannot tell you what this scripture meant to me as a 19-year-old kid. All of a sudden, God spoke to me out of this and he, he, he used this phrase, I've been crucified with Christ. He said, Rick, remember this from, from this moment forward. When you were buried with Christ and raised with him, the old Rick Shelton died. The one that was do nothing, average, that, you know, I was a little chubby kid, you know, couldn't run very fast, wasn't great at sports, wasn't that smart, you know. And, and you know, people, a lot of people said I'd never amount to anything. But the Lord said to me, he said, Rick, that Rick Shelton is dead with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Well, who's the new Rick Shelton that's alive? He says, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Wow. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? The Lord spoke to me. He said, Rick, the old Rick is dead. He said, now the life of Christ is alive in you. And you live by faith of the resources of Christ that are living on the inside of you. God says you are limited by nothing but the ability, the wisdom, and the strength of Almighty God. Wow, it rocked my world. And some of you might think I'm kidding, but I'm telling you the truth. Over the next two years after that, I believe my IQ even went way up out the roof. Now, maybe not out the roof, but, you know, it went way up from where it was. I even got a whole lot smarter. Some of you don't believe it. Well, look, you're listening to me, so you tell me who, who, who's right about this. That scripture rocked my world. And then this scripture, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19, out of the Amplified Bible. It says, I tell you, you are Peter. Jesus said, a large piece of rock, and on this rock, a huge rock like Gibraltar, I will build my church in the gates of Hades. The powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment, or hold out against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, declare to be improper or unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. Now folks, listen to me very carefully when I see this. Whenever I, this verse exploded in me, it's a simple little verse, but what I got out of it was simply this. 
I'd never seen anything like this before. That there were laws that govern the activity and the actions of man that God has set up this way to where that are, 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 there are spiritual laws that govern our actions and the, God's response to those actions. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but it exploded in me because what that means is when God says that whatever you bind or to declare unlawful on earth, he said, it's, it's what's already, you must be what is already unlawful in heaven. All he's saying there is simply, you've got to make sure it's something that's the will of God that's already been established in heaven. If you understand what's been established as the will in heaven, then you have authority to make unlawful here what's unlawful in heaven. And to make lawful here wasn't lawful in heaven. Now, let me tell you something, what that did for me. It made me realize that there are specific laws that govern this kingdom. And that therefore, God will show up in my life with authority. I tap into the power and the flow of God in my life. That it's not some random act. But there are specific reasons when God shows up. I remember when I got the book, it was shortly after that. Whenever somebody gave me a book by Oral Robertson, it was called The Miracle of Seed Faith. And this Miracle of Seed Faith was real popular back then. And a lot of people, what they took away from that book was basically that God wants to bless us. And, and I believe that. And that's, you can legitimately take that away from that book. But what I got out of this book, The Miracle of Seed Faith, was this idea that God has given man authority, spiritual authority. Now listen to this. And that when we use our spiritual authority, demonic powers have to bow in the name of Jesus. And that we have authority over things that contradict God's will in this world and in our life. Now, getting on a, on a practical level, I believed all this. Once I saw these scriptures, I read that book and God was speaking to me. But I'd never had an opportunity to experience it or to exercise it. Until just all of a sudden, one day, it was thrown right up in my face. A young lady came and confronted me or came up to me and she said, hey, she said, uh, she said, do you believe? Now, look, I'm going to tell you this story. I don't want to freak some of you out, you know, especially if you're a visitor, you know, you're kind of a new person, whatever. Look, you know, just, if, just chalk it up to me being crazy. You know, you can go out of here if you say, oh, he was just crazy. And so this gal comes up to me and she says, uh, do you believe in, in, in casting out demons? out of people. And I says, well, I said, yeah, I said, I see it in the scripture. I, so I believe it. And she said, well, she said, would you, uh, I said, why? She said, well, I have one. I said, you have what? She said, I have a demon. I have demon. I said, you do? She said, yeah. And I want to know if you'll cast the demon out of me. And I said, well, I said, I see it in scripture, but I've never done it myself. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know. She said, well, would you do it? And I said, well, okay, why not? Let's give it a shot, you know, give it a go. And so anyway, she stood there and I, you know, you have, I mean, all the things that are necessary are there. You got the demon possessed person. You got the guy, you know, have hands, will travel, you know, you got it. Like, and so I'm standing there. Now watch this. Cause it was a profound moment in my life. You st I'm standing there. And so I, I, first of all, all I could do was to do what I had seen other people do. And so I laid my hands on her kind of firmly and I started shouting, you know, that's what I saw. He oh, come out, come out in Jesus' name. Oh, come out, oh, come out, oh, come out in Jesus. Oh, come out, come out, go, 
you know, I'm doing all this, you know, I'm shaking her and I'm pushing her. And I'm, oh, you foul. Because I heard foul. That, that's when you really get tough. Foul. You know, and, and, and thou us, theus, thus us, uh, demonic, uh, whatever. And, and come out. And I did that. Now listen, this is, if you listen, this is profound. I did that for, oh, I don't know how long. I mean, maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I don't know, but till I was sweaty, I was drenched with sweat. I was tired. And I said, come out. Oh, please come out. And I looked up. And when I looked up after all this time, I saw the demon looking at me through her eyes. I mean, how'd you know? Well, you can tell it. The demon was just, if you ever want to know what a demon looks like, this is what a demon looks like. <laughs> and, she, and so this demon was going like this and got a big smirk on her face. And she started laughing at me and mocking me. The laugh just <laughs> mocking me. After all this time, demanding. It says, this demon's mocking me. I can't tell you how humiliated I was. I was just embarrassed. I thought, this is just terrible. After an hour and a half, and the demon's not only not coming out, the demon's laughing at me. And I was so upset. I'll never forget it. Look, this is real stuff. I just finally said, what do I do now, Lord? And so anyway, I decided to just go over and talk to the Lord. And I just said, would you excuse me, you know, both of you, you and the demon, just hold, just, hold, just hold on right there. Don't go anywhere. But, and I walk over here into the corner. When I'm walking over the corner, I, I, I just as an innocent little child, I got before the Lord. And I said, God, I said, well, what do I do now? I did all that. What do I do now? And I'll never forget it. The Lord told me to sing a song. Is that crazy? And it's an old song. It's called, Oh, the Blood of Jesus. And so anyway, he said, sing that. Walk around her in a circle and sing the song. So I went back over there, did just the Lord told me. And I just sing, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. I did it several times walking around, not looking at the girl. And finally, I decided to take a peek. And when I peeked up at the girl, here's what I saw. Whoa. I go, oh, the blood of you. I mean, baby, I poured it on. Then I thought, you got him on the run. Don't let up now. He's on the mat. Keep him down. Listen. And you know what? Make a long story short. All I did was sing, oh, the blood of Jesus. And she fell out on the floor after a little bit. Boom, came to a couple of minutes later. There was a beautiful smile on her face. And she was dramatically set free of demonic powers in her life. Wow. Wow. Now, look, I learned several things from that. Number one, I learned this, that there is a real, definite, practical confrontation between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness that plays out in our everyday world. Now, folks, listen to me. If you don't buy into that, you're missing the whole point. You can learn things out of Scripture. You can learn ideas and truths and all say, yes, I'm a good Christian. But let me tell you something. If you don't have the power to back up what's inside of you, let me tell you, there are things you will confront that ideas alone will not conquer. It takes a raw power to conquer it. A raw power.
Our world is suffering. Our world is in pain. There's so much pain out there. And they need more than a counselor many times. They need a redeemer. They need a deliverer. Wow. You say, boy, you're crazy. You better believe it. I'm crazy about Jesus. Now listen to this. So after this experience, I was off to the races. And I understood this spiritual authority God had given me that taps into the power of God that brings victory in our life and other people's lives. But here's really the other half of the story. And that is that I went along for about 20 years. You know, our church just had tremendous, enjoyed tremendous success and fruitfulness. We have a huge church and we were sending out ministries all over the world. We had our, our tentacles of our ministry everywhere. God had done so much. And I had had many experiences like what I just explained to you for those 20 years, all the way up in almost uh, the year 2000. And I'll be honest with you, in that time, because of all the success, I felt somewhat invincible. You know, you're the man of faith and power for the hour. And man, you got the word and nothing's gone wrong in the last 20 years. And then I'll never forget in November 1999, I come home from a long trip. And literally my whole system crashed. I burned out. It was my fault. It wasn't God's fault. It was my fault. And when I burned out, my immune system totally crashed. And I ended up within a short period of time with like 12 different illnesses that my immune system could not fight. I was having a, a bell palsy and a, you know, I mean, just, forget, just all kinds of stuff. And I could hardly walk, didn't have any equilibrium. I ended up sitting in a chair, you know, basically most of the time throughout the week. Here I went from this guy who was on the run, making big decisions. Everybody wanted it, you know, it is time. To all of a sudden, I'm sitting there in my living room most of the week. Can't function, can't do anything, can't hardly think. Now, the point of this message is this. Listen to me, folks. It's one thing if, that, if some kind of attack like that goes on for a week a month, maybe even a number of months. But here's where we run into the problem, and that is that what about when it's not solved or turned around in a short period of time? Mine went into a year, and then after a year, on top of the Ill and physical illnesses, I started having these crazy things I knew very little about before called panic attacks. Me, who was never afraid of anything, and now I'm reduced to this miserable existence of every day of my life, either having a panic attack or waiting to have one. And that went on. The thing is, that'd be one thing if I said it went on for a month or two. But I did not come out of this thing for six and a half years. For five and a half years of that six and a half, I was having those panic attacks and literally every day was having a panic attack sometime your day or waiting to have one. And my life was totally turned upside down. This thing lasted so long that here's what happened. Now look, here's the way you relate to this. You may not have experienced or may not ever experience what I experienced. But it's the same way if you go through a prolonged financial strain where it seems like you're always dealing with poverty or never enough, barely getting along, just making it. And it doesn't last for a week or a month. It goes on for years. And it wears you down. Or, or maybe there's marital strife in the home. 
It's one thing if it's just a little crop-up thing for a month or two. But when it goes on and on and on and on and it's not resolved, or there's some torment in our mind that's not been resolved for years, I begin to learn something. And here's what the Lord showed me. It's out of the book of Daniel and chapter 7. And verse 25 in the Amplified Bible, look at this stunning verse. It's talking about the devil. And it says, and he, the devil, shall speak words against the Most High God. Here's his strategy. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That phrase jumped out at me. He shall wear out the saints. Now, this is not a prophecy given just to an individual or a a church or a city. It's for every believer. He says as the end time comes near, he says that there will be a strategy of the enemy. And here's the strategy. Though if, if the devil can't keep you from learning your authority, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing where you're seated, knowing who you are as a son of God, if he can't keep you from knowing and exercising those things, then he will switch to another strategy, and that is he will try to wear you down until he wears out the saints. Why? Because when he gets you tired and weary, he knows you'll quit fighting. And so he neutralizes us through our passivity. When I saw that as a strategy of the enemy, and here's what I want you to see, folks, whoever you are tonight, when you go through a prolonged battle of any kind, understand it's a strategy of the enemy, not just to get your kids or your marriage or your money. It's a strategy to take your faith from you, to keep you from doing him damage, to keep you neutralized and ineffective. And this is what had happened to me. And as I was ill and went on for a year and two years and three years, somewhere in the middle of all this, first, first half of the first year, couple of years, I was fighting strong. I would say, no, in the name of Jesus, God is healing me. I believe God's turning this around. I would quote scriptures, all this stuff. But somewhere along the line, I got tired. I began to get weary. Now, folks, listen to this next thing. Here's what happens when you fight any battle for a long time and you begin to get weary. Are you ready? Number one, what happens is, is you begin, it's been so long since you felt normal that you start thinking this is normal. And so you create a new normal, which is not normal, it's actually abnormal. But it's amazing how the human how the human is wired to where you can subconsciously adapt to what you're going through so that you can cope with it. Are you all with me now? You know, some of you young people may be looking at me and say, well, you know, I don't relate to that. I ain't lived long enough to go through something for a long, long time. But yet, think about it. Even all your, all your friends in school or whatever that, you know, you go through things where you feel rejection, you feel pain of betrayal and all these things being on the outside and it goes on not for a week or a month, but it lasts for years. And it's the same things, folks. The enemy desires to neutralize you and get you to become passive. And so what happened to me was this. Somewhere along the line, I forget where it was, but I gradually began to wear down. And I, it had been so long since I felt normal that I forgot what normal was like. And so this became a new normal for me. Now, the problem with that, I hope, to me, this is powerful. It changed my life. I hope, I hope you see this, get this too. The reason that's so dangerous is, 
is the, when, you, when it's been so long since you felt normal, you've got a new normal now. What happens is then we inevitably begin to reduce our expectations to the level of what we're experiencing. Are you ready? Watch this. We reduce our expectations to the level of what we're experiencing. Why? Because it's too painful to keep on hoping when nothing is happening. There becomes a dissonance between what we feel should happen and what it is. And the dissonance is so great that we have to create a new unity between what we believe and what we're experiencing. And it's a false unity. It's a lie out of the pit of hell. Can I tell you this? This is why the Bible so clearly, strongly speaks about hope. Hope is a powerful mechanism. Don't ever give up hope. If you don't have anything else, hope is a picture that faith that faith occupies. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is a container. Faith is the substance you put in the container. If you don't have the container, you don't have anything to hold your faith. The hope is the picture. It's seeing yourself the way God sees you. This is not some kind of metaphysical doctrine of, you know, building some kind of, I believe I'm this, I believe I'm that. But when you're healthy most of your life, you naturally see yourself as healthy. But when you're sick for a long time, you start inadvertently seeing yourself as sick. So now you've got a problem because not only are you sick, but you see yourself that way. And folks, it is true. You do get what you see. You listen to me. You do get what you see. And you have to, you, you have to fight tooth and toenail to say, no, I'm not going to let go of that picture of what God wants for me. Devil, I don't care how long this fight is. I'm not going to let go of the picture of God redeeming me, making me well. I'm not going to let go of that picture of my marriage coming back into unity or my kids coming back home. I'm not going to, oh, that relationship come back together. I'm not going to let it go. Faith is, or hope is that picture. And then what happens after that? Y'all still with me? Ah, oh, listen, you know what happens after that? You know, we reduce our expectations to match our experience. Then what happens is we go to this step and that is that we change our theology to accommodate our experience. I cannot tell you how many people have done it, because listen to me. They experience such pain and suffering or adverse experiences for so long, and they keep trying to match it up. No, 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 God's word says this. But it's been so long that there's been this disconnect that they can't live with the pain of this contradiction. And so they take and they change the theology to accommodate their experience. And I cannot believe I did this, but me, who knew all the things that I told you, I did that very thing. You know what I did? Because I, I guess my highest priorities, I, I just feel I want to be devoted to God. I, no matter what happens, kind of like Job said, oh God, though you slay me, still I trust you. And that's a noble idea. But listen to this, it's, I started saying to God, because it had been so long now, like five years, and I said, God, if this never changes, I said, God, it doesn't matter anymore. God, if it's your will that I stay like this the rest of my life, 
then God, that's fine. I will worship you. I will praise you just the same. I will serve you. It just doesn't matter anymore. And you say, Rick, what's wrong with that? What a great idea. Uh, You're to be respected and honored for that. The commitment is great. But I didn't realize at the time that my changing of my theology was not born out of just commitment. It was born out of a necessity to deal with the insanity of what I was going through. You say, what was wrong with your theology? The Lord very clearly told me this. He said, you know what you did when you started praying that? He said, you started putting me in partnership with physical sickness, with anxiety, fear, depression. He said, you start putting us all in the same category, in the same boat. He said, in essence, you called me a liar. I told you I've come to redeem you out of these things. This so strongly hit me. That God began to teach to me. Long story short, I'm going to wrap this up here in a minute. Let me just say this. that On January 15th, now they were talking about six and a half years later, January 15th, 2006, Donna hands me a book and she says, Rick, you've got to read this chapter right now. You have to. I took the book, I read the chapter. I could not believe what I was reading. God began to all of a sudden open truths to me. The title of the chapter was called Passivity. Passivity. Now, that wouldn't have applied to me for many years. But here's what she said in that chapter. She said, the will, your will is the seat of government of your life. And she says, what you choose will determine the outcome of your life. And so you must understand that the devil has as one of his number one strategies to control your will. And get you disconnected from it. Now you say, what does that all that mean? What does all that mean? Here's what it means. Whenever the enemy begins to wear you down, he tries to take control of your will. Not just in some prolonged thing like I'm talking about now. But let's just take, for example, even in temptation. You know, you take the thing that a lot of people are dealing with. It's a terrible thing to talk about. But pornography. You know, online pornography. And let's say you, 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 maybe you sit there and you didn't mean to do it, you know, whatever. And you boom, all of a sudden click something. And whoa, there it is. And whoa, my God. But then you, you're, 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 you say, oh, no, 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 no. Oh. And then you entertain it and you start looking at it. And so you made this decision to entertain this. And did you ever notice that when you do that, then you click it off and then you go away and you say, God, you repent. God, please forgive me. I, I, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And then a month later, you're sitting down at the computer and bang, all of a sudden you did it again. And did you notice that the second time, it was a lot easier to do it than it was the first time? And then the third time, it was easier to do it than it was the second time. You want to know why? It's because here's what God showed me. That God wants victory in our life and we need the power of God to have victory. But your authority is the only thing you have that gives you access to your power, the power of God. But your will is the only thing you have that gives you access to your authority. And so the devil is constantly trying to compromise the integrity of our will. In other words, to where we don't choose right things. And if we don't, then he will choose for us. Look at this passage of scripture. Look at this in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis and chapter four, verse seven. It says this, look, he's talking to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. Now, this is a powerful scripture, but what does it mean? Listen to this. Cain was being tempted to kill Abel, right? So God comes to him and he tells him, he said, listen, dude, you got to make the right choices here. The enemy's tempting you and he's tempting you, but you got to choose, stay strong and choose rightly. And if you do, it'll go well for you. He says, but if you don't, he said, then sin lies at the door. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. When you take your will and you say, no, I'm not going to go that way. That's contrary to God's will and his word. I'm going to choose God's will and his word. You are taking your will and you're choosing God's will for your life. And your, your will then remains strong. But when you don't choose rightly, think of this, like that thing of pornography. You know, you didn't just decide to click on and say, hey, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to pollute my mind and ruin my life, you know? And you didn't say that. What happens is the enemy is tempting you. And when you don't use your will to choose God and his will, the enemy begins to choose for you. That's what it means. Sin lies at the door. He's waiting there. God loves you. He woos you. He draws you. He doesn't manipulate or coerce or force. But the enemy's the opposite. He forces. He coerces. He binds. And he manipulates and controls. Do you understand that? And so it's so, it's so important to keep your will strong. And say in the time of temptation or the time of adversity, say, I don't care what happens. I am not going to stop choosing what is right and choosing God's will. Because every time you don't choose what is right, the enemy chooses for you. You have abdicated your will to the enemy. And you know what happens when you do that? The reason it's easier the second time and the third time and the fourth time is because every time you don't choose rightly, your will is weakened. It gets weaker and the enemy gains more control over your life. And the more, you, and every time you choose rightly, your will is strengthened. And so the Lord spoke to this to me. This is on January 15, 2006. And he says, you have let the enemy take control of your life by becoming passive, giving up fighting, and not standing strong in your will and choosing God's will for your life. And the Lord told me this. He said, you need to repent. And I repented. And then I began to take back my authority. And from that moment on, I started standing on the word of God and saying, I don't care what my body feels like or what things look like, even with the anxiety. In Jesus' name, God is healing me. I'm being restored in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm being redeemed. And do you know that 12 days after that, on January 27th, God completely restored and healed me. And that's been nine years ago. Look, look that's, that's been nine years ago. You know, and here I stand today and I think, and I'm, I'm having a blast. And I've not had a panic attack in nine years. Folks, if you've ever had those, you know, it's a miracle. Even once people do get some measure of victory over them, they still wrestle with them from time to time. I've never even had to wrestle with it at all. Are you with me now? God has totally freed me. But I want to tell you this. In order to stay free, I've had to be very rigid with myself about what I allow in my mind and what I allow in my mouth 
This is not just some kind of nice faith doctrine or something. I realize my life depended on it. I'm just telling you, I refuse to allow any negative thoughts into my mind. I will not allow it. I take control of my will and say no. When I was going through panic attacks, I remember once I got really these revelations, you know what? I was still having the panic attack. I'd have a full-blown panic attack, which makes you feel like you're going crazy. And while I was having a panic attack, I would just say, I would stop and say this. I'd say no. You just go ahead. I literally do this. I talk to my body. I say, no, you just go ahead and have yourself a nice little tantrum. But I'm not going to agree with that tantrum. In Jesus' name, I am not full of fear. I'm not full of panic. That's something you want to go to. You just go ahead and have it, have it out because your day is done. I am healed in Jesus' name. And I would even stop and tell myself because, you know, when you have the panic attacks, you feel like everything's falling apart. The world's coming in. end. Nothing's okay. And I would sit there and like a kid, I would tell myself, no, I'm okay. And everything's going to go be okay. God is for me. He's with me. And I've got a great future and everything's going to be all right. Wow. You might think there's not much power in that, but there's tremendous power because it's you taking back control of your own life. Are you with me? Wow. And then God healed me 12 days later. It's amazing. And I have this passion, folks. Listen to me. I'm just a normal guy. A little bit crazy, yeah, but I'm just a normal guy. Just like you. And I know that there's lots of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. It can come from a thousand different ways. And after I went through what I went through, I got to tell you, I just, I have such compassion for you. People who suffer abuse and misuse, people who suffer years of, of verbal abuse, betrayal, abandonment, people who've suffered failure and they've a setback or a loss of a loved one or, you know, a, a business fails and you feel rejected and you feel like a failure. A thousand ways that people suffer. But let me tell you something, folks. I'm here to tell you tonight, look, nine years later, listen, there is hope. God's not going to leave you in that. If you'll pick yourself up by the britches, listen, if you'll pick yourself up by the britches and start choosing to speak God's word and think God's word and not allowing the enemy to choose for you, I'm telling you, God's got a new life for you and you can begin again. I believe that. Y'all believe that? Come on, give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody stand to your feet with me tonight. I want you to listen to me very carefully as I make this call. Look, however you're suffering tonight, whatever pain you're experiencing. Look, I'm just going to tell you this. Look at me, list this. You know, don't bow your heads or nothing. Look at me, list this. I can tell you, yeah. I can pray for you tonight and I can break things off of your life. I believe that. But you need to walk this thing out. You can learn truths in my book or you can just get in the Word, start studying for yourself and you've got to walk this thing out yourself. But the Bible says that you have to first bind the strong man and then you can plunder his goods. And I just want to pray for people who've been going through long struggles in whatever sort they have been and I want to pray for you that God can totally, will totally break this thing off of your life and the enemy will be stopped in his tracks and it will release you and give you room to breathe so you can walk out victory in your life in the days and months ahead. 
You ready for that? I want you to do this. I'm not going to ask any raise hands or nothing else. We're all going to bow our head, and I want you to close your eyes right now. And everybody, let's just say this together. Say, Satan, you have no part with my life. I don't belong to you. My body doesn't belong to you. My mind doesn't belong to you. My finances don't belong to you. My kids don't belong to you. My marriage doesn't belong to you. My job doesn't belong to you. Nothing in my world belongs to you. I belong to Jesus. I'm redeemed by his shed blood. I am his child, and he gives his angels charge over me. So come on now. So I'm drawing the line tonight and telling you, devil, it's over. Your day is done, and I'm walking out of prison into a new day of victory in my life. Come on, say this. As Pastor Rick prays, I receive this prayer wholeheartedly in the name of Jesus. Receive this now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for people who have been bound, first of all, in depression, in fear, in worry, and in anxiety. In the name of Jesus, thou those foul binding chains, I break your power in Jesus Christ. And loose them and let them go. Release them from those torments. Lord, I pray for people who have been bound financially, people who've been struggling, barely making it. Lord God, fighting poverty or lack. Father, in the name of Jesus, I curse that foul spirit of poverty and I break your power now in Jesus Christ's name. I pray you release them into your provision. Lord God, I pray for marriages that have been in disunity and discord. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that foul strategy that's set against their marriage to divide them, you foul spirit of division, I break your power in Jesus Christ's name. Loose them and let them go. In Jesus Christ's name, you'll not destroy their marriage. And Father, I pray for kids in this house in Jesus' name. Kids that have been bound or that enemies strategizing against could take them off into rebellion or, or some kind of addiction um, or some kind of other willful way in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, oh, but I show come on. Satan, I know that you're strategizing against our kids, but I'm here to tell you tonight as a servant of God, you can't have them in Jesus Christ's name. We draw the line in Jesus' name. Lord, and I pray right now, Lord God, that you break the power of the enemy off of our kids' lives, off of their minds, off of their bodies, off of their spirits, in Jesus' name. And lastly, Lord God, I speak to people's bodies who've been bound with sickness and disease of all kinds, pain, illness of all kinds, even spirits of infirmity that have lasted a long time. I serve the enemy notice that you cannot have God's property. These bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. They don't belong to you. So in the name of Jesus, I break your power off of these bodies in Jesus' name. And I say, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed and made whole in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if y'all believe that you've got it and you're receiving it in Jesus' name, give him a big shout of victory. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 